Hi, this is Tracy S. Morris. As you've probably noticed, there's been no new content this past month. That has been because I've had a couple of pending projects that I've had to devote my attention to, and they've taken priority. I do not see that changing in the near future, and so rather than just have a sporadic update schedule, I'm making the decision to scale back my podcast and blog. Um, Going forward, there will be only one podcast a month that'll update the first Monday of each month, the same way it did when I started the podcast. And there will also be only one blog post each month uh, to read, and that'll be on the third Monday of each month. And that should give me time to focus on other projects. Um, I hate to do that, but I think that's a necessity at this point. So thank you for your patience. And here's the podcast. Depending on who you ask, Thomas Jefferson is either a revered or reviled founding father. On one hand, he wrote the Declaration of Independence, funded the Lewis and Clark expedition, and presided over the Louisiana Purchase. On the other hand, he was a slave owner and fathered several children with one of his slaves, Sally Hemings, who was herself his late wife's half-sister. But among all the scandals he features in, no one ever talks about Thomas Jefferson's murder sheep. I'm Tracy S. Morris, and I am not making this up. Over the years, some presidents have been known for keeping odd animals at the White House. John Quincy Adams supposedly kept an alligator in his bathtub, although the truth of this story is doubtful, as I explored in an earlier blog. But Jefferson's flock of sheep wouldn't have seemed out of the ordinary when he was alive. It was a different time, one before lawnmowers. So, if Jefferson wanted to keep a flock of sheep to manage the yard, it was kind of expected. Jefferson was a very energetic person, so when he wasn't running the country or engaging in rap battles with Alexander Hamilton, he was usually inventing something. Predicting solar eclipses, rewriting the Bible, or sending instructions back to his brothers on how to run Monticello and his other plantations. So it follows that the sheep on the lawn were more than just fluffy white lawnmowers. They were one of Jefferson's many, 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 many hobbies. Jefferson spent a lot of free time in Washington studying farming techniques. Monticello has a farm journal that Jefferson filled with notes from books, interviews with farmers, and impressions from demonstrations of new plows and threshing machines. Jefferson's obsession with sheep started when George Washington was president. The father of our country showed Jefferson articles about animal husbandry. From then on, Jefferson was a bit of a sheep fanatic. When he eventually became president, Jefferson's ethics prevented him from accepting valuable gifts. Sheep, however, he would make an exception for. Pretty soon, word got around that Jefferson was open to gifts of the mutton and wool persuasion. Have you ever heard of ferret math? When you get a ferret, pretty soon everyone looking to get rid of their ferret calls you. When Christmas rolls around, everyone's getting you tacky ferret mugs and ugly ferret-themed Christmas sweaters. Jefferson had ferret math for sheep. The financier of the revolution, Robert Morris, no relation to me, despite what the family lore suggests, 
gave Jefferson a ram smuggled from Spain. What he hoped was a coveted merino breed, but was actually just a common churro. Eventually, the Spanish gifted outgoing President Jefferson and incoming President Madison with a merino ram each, and three ewes each. A bookseller gave Jefferson a Bengal ewe, and once, during the American War with the countries of the Barbary Coast, Jefferson mentioned in an offhand way to the Secretary of the Navy that he'd always wanted a Barbary broadtail sheep. Before you can sing their anthem, the Navy was dodging pirate ships and landing in hostile territory to retrieve sheep from Tripoli for Jefferson. Oh, and once the Marquis de Lafayette gave him two sheepdogs because you can't have sheep without sheepdogs. Uh, getting back to the murder sheep in question, uh, it was a gift from a man named James D. Barry, who is not the Irish painter who greatly resembles Christopher Walken. Jefferson wrote to Barry that he would accept the sheep for the public good. That line sounds about as convincing as when it's being said by Grindelwald. The sheep was a four-horned Shetland ram, the kind that's usually pictured in a colonial-era depiction of the devil, or on the cover of a heavy metal album. The American Shetland Sheep Breeders Association states that the Shetland sheep are small, docile animals that are ideal for kids. Jefferson's ram was not that. It was said to be small, but extremely territorial, kind of like a chihuahua. If it wasn't enough to have one animal that looked like Satan on the lawn, Jefferson then expanded the White House flock to 40 sheep. Jefferson viewed the White House as belonging to the people. So although he had a post and rail fence built around the grounds to keep the sheep in, anyone who wanted to could walk around the property or even into the mansion. Jefferson even put taxidermied animals from the Lewis and Clark expedition on the lawn for people to look at. So this sounds like the formula for a video game, an outdoor version of the Smithsonian populated with the occasional tiny, fluffy, homicidal demon sheep. Diaries and letters at the time report that gawkers and people taking a shortcut across the White House lawn were attacked by Jefferson's very territorial ram. One man who was attacked by the ram was bedridden for six weeks. Now, Jefferson turned a blind eye to this. The embargo of 1807 against Napoleon and France meant the United States was no longer importing French wool. Jefferson thought he might make a fortune off the wool of his Shetland ram and any future little sheep that it might spawn with some of the ewes in his flock. So he sent samples of the ram's wool to various weavers, hoping to confirm the quality of the wool. None of the weavers were very impressed, actually. Despite this, Jefferson continued to overlook the ram's troublesome personality, even after it killed a little boy. Our only reference to this event comes from Jefferson's friend, Anna Maria Thornton, who makes a passing mention of it in her diary. And that's it. There's no newspaper coverage, no letters, nothing, nada. Like a convict leaving the country till the heat died down, Jefferson had the murder sheep moved to Monticello, where it killed three of Jefferson's prized lambs. Jefferson had had enough at that point. He had this abominable animal, as he called it, put down. You know, because now, after it had killed valuable livestock, it was dangerous. 
Real classy there, TJ. Thank you for listening to I Am Not Making This Up. The podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, pretty much all the other directories now, so subscribe. If you like what you hear, leave a review with your preferred podcast service. That's how other listeners find us. For more bizarre stories I didn't make up, and some that I did, go to my website, tracysmores.com. You can also subscribe to my newsletter. I send out an original speculative fiction story about once a month as my schedule permits. Or check my short stories and novels there. If you want a good laugh, why not purchase one of my books, like my forthcoming novel, It Came From Tranquility, which features a sunken underwater town, treasure, murder, and giant catfish. It Came to Tranquility will be available on Amazon and through Yard Dog Press. And if you have an improbable history topic you'd like me to talk about, please drop me an email at author at tracysmorris.com.